LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Todd Atkins. Hello. A little different introduction for you today. (laughs) Well, we are joined by Horst Schulze, who is the former president and co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. He is also an author of his book, Excellence Wins, where he shares about the principles he learned throughout the years of leading Ritz-Carlton. Horst, how are you doing today? Very good. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Well, Horst, of course, over the past year, I mean, COVID has impacted everything and we've all kind of been experiencing what that looks like. Now for you, I know that you led a hotel company for many, many years. So for you, was there any experiences that you had that kind of maybe for those listening that you might be able to provide a little bit of a story of, hey, we led through this and here's some experiences I learned through that? Well, well, sure. I went through several recessions, including the big recession 2008, 2009, 2010. <clears throat> so uh, there, there, there are setbacks. This, of course, is extremely unusual. Yet, whatever happens in an organ in the life of an organization, or for that matter, in the life of an individual, the one thing you don't give up. You don't give up your objectives if the objectives were great, if you are an organization or an individual, I would hope that there is purpose in your life. That means you have a vision where you take the organization, where you take yourself into the future. What is that place in the future that you want to go to? And in the case of Ritz-Carlton, you mentioned Ritz-Carlton. I I created another company incidentally after Ritz-Carlton, which is called Capella. I sold that company a year ago. And incidentally, now, uh, two months ago, Capella was voted best hotel company in the world. Uh, it used to be Ritz-Carlton, it's Capella. And then uh, Capella in, uh, in uh, Bali was voted best hotel in the world. So, so I, as a company, I'm in the companies, I went through difficulties. The one thing that you don't give up is your vision. My vision was to create the finest hotel company in the world. Just because there is a setback, no matter how major, a leader doesn't give up his or her objective. Mm. But the vision doesn't change. The other thing that shouldn't change is your values. Under what moral values are you working? They don't give up. What changes is all, all your priorities. They change. And <clears throat> while... Uh, when, when the organization, when, when an organization, when a business runs somewhat functions somewhat under normal circumstances, the organization should be clearly be consciously working for all concerned. The organization works then clearly for the customer. The organization works for the investor. The organization works for the employee. In fact, the organization works for society at large. That means the vision that you have as a company is good for all concerned. That doesn't change. However, what changes during a serious situation is your priorities. The priority is not anything else any more than but the survival of the organization. Because without the organization, you can't serve anybody. So when it becomes difficult, you have to refocus and say, 
I cannot be now concentrated on serving every employee or whatever. You have to say, how are we going to save the life of the organization? So once I get through here, I can again take care of the, of the employees and of everybody else. So it means maybe it means, now let me be very harsh here. It may means you have to lay off a lot of employees, but be smart and keep the best ones. All right. It means you still have to be in contact with your customers. Even though they're not in your in your business, not buying from you, you stay in contact, stay connected to the customer. So there should be, you should question yourself, how do I make sure that after I am through this setback, that the customers nevertheless like me even more? You have to question yourself. Maybe you don't find an answer, but those are questions you have to ask yourself in, in the organization, in the leadership of the organization. What am I going to do here? But you don't give up that you have a vision of becoming an organization of excellence and you don't give up your, 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 your values as a whole, but you have no choice but change your priorities. You wrote a book called Excellence Wins. And as, yeah. uh, as you know, change comes about in our society, I mean, you've led through the most rapid set of changes uh, in, in history. Uh, it, things have changed so progressively, so quickly while you were in control, uh, at the helm of, of both these organizations, how, how do you maintain excellence in changing and shifting times? Okay. Let's, let's define excellence for a moment. Excellence is never an accident. Mm -hmm. It's always the result of high intent and, and hard work. The high intent, one the high intent is that you should please every customer and so, and so on. That's your high intent. And your high intent is a long-term vision. But as you go, go, go on and you make changes that are necessary, like implementation of high tech and so on, the high intent of the change should also exist. So you have to question as I make this change, what is excellent? What do I excellent do I have to accomplish in this change that I'm going to make here? That, has, that hasn't changed. But incidentally, the one thing that will never change, and everybody talks about this constant change, and you have to be aware your company's not the same anymore in three years, and you know, everything's changed, and everybody's talking about that. I tell you what will not change. The most important thing will not change. That is that your, your customers wish that you are sincere with them, that you treat them morally, that you treat them nicely. That won't change. So <laughs> and that's the most important. So you, you, made, you, you see changes and what you have to know is constantly know how is your market changing? How is my customer changing? And once I, if I see a change in the customer's expectation of my product, I have to redo my processes to make sure I'm serving that change. At the same time, I have to realign my employees so they have knowledge of the new expectation that the customer has from me. So, and, and this new changes, this new process again should be, uh, should be instituted with high intent to create the best possible for that customer. Those things will change. This is an ongoing evolution of any company. Now, true, 
It changes much faster in the last 20 years. They happen much faster than in the way before. But, but be aware, as we all, as every, I hear everybody, every company whining and crying that things are changing constantly. Stop and realize what, what won't change is that you should treat your employees with integrity and respect and honor. It doesn't change that you, that you, that your effort has to be to serve the customer for the benefit of the customer, that you care for them. Those things won't change. If that doesn't change in your mindset, you will be able to adjust to the new systems, to the new, to the new technology that comes in, et cetera, et cetera. You will adjust it. As long as it is driven again by your integrity and your intent to do the very best for your customer and your employee. I like what you said about intent um, specifically because often you'll hear, you'll hear people talk about excellence, excellence, excellence um, without that marriage of intentionality. Because if you don't have intentionality, excellence really has diminishing returns at some point. Just a word. It's right. just a word. And so, you know, for us in the church and as church leaders, when we think about, you know, uh, the, the customer, the good of the customer in our minds, I think it's really understanding that, you know, yes, the, the church is, is different than a business. And of course, there's so many things at, at play in here. It's a body of believers, but our charge as leaders is to be a good steward of those put under our care and uh, in, intentionally um, raise those people up, intentionally do what's best for that person and, and, and helping them move from just being uh, a believer to successfully using their gifts and service to Christ to, you know, pouring that back into other people. And, and, you know, um, uh, the other thing I'm drawing out of this is, you know, those intentions, those purposes of the church don't change, but the circumstances do. And as long as you're still focused on meeting that same intent, um, that's what it's really all about. Am, am I hearing that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's never an accident. It has to be always high intent. I will take care of my, my, uh, uh, community of my customers, whatever you name it, it doesn't matter what you name, you can call, call them patients or guests or whatever they are. My intent as an organization is to, to serve that community of people for their benefit, for their benefit. And if it, so, so that, so that, uh, so that I reach most of them and, and help, help them. So I serve them and then let's break the, break down the word of service, service, which everybody says we're in service. And, and, and if you ask me, explain me what it is, you, you, you get lousy answers. And worse, if you ask them how you accomplish service, you get even worse answers. I mean, so, so what am I, what is service? What, 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 when, how does it start? How does it end? It starts with a great greeting. It starts not after I met my, my customer or my parishioner or whatever I call him. It starts the instant I meet them by making them feel well, by looking them in the eye and say, saying to them, you're important, welcome. With my eyes, and then it continues, and here it is. And then it continues by giving the, 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 
the customer, the guest, the parishioner, giving them, helping them. It's not about me anymore. Helping them to receive what they desire and need. Helping them to give that. It's not about me anymore in service. It's all about them, understanding them, listening to them, and caring for them, and helping them to make the best decisions in life relative to what you are doing. Hmm. And then, of course, it ends by saying, it is an honor to serve you. It's an honor to, to, to help you. Goodbye. Have a nice day and I'll see you tomorrow again. See you as soon as I can. And I'm honored to help you. That's service. Welcome. Comply. Serve. Farewell. And if I do that, I, can, I have to adjust that to my particular product. If it is a church or a hotel or a legal service or selling shoes. Doesn't make no difference. I'm there for them, for the customer. And, if, and, and get out of the customer what is the need of this customer and help them to fill that need. Mm. And make them feel good about it, of course. That service. How much do you know about your people that you serve? How much do you know what they really need? Are you doing it their way or your way? Or is it your way that we're doing things? That's usually what happened. That's what we do. It's not about you. It's about them. That is individuality. As a whole, you have a product, of course. But then an ideal, an ideal organization adjusts to the individual. Hmm. Well, Horace, even as you're saying that and just talk about service and hospitality, I'm just thinking for the church, especially church leaders, it's we should be with the, with the heart of Christ and the hospitality. We should be a place where people come and they, they do feel, they feel loved. They feel valued. And of course, you know, pointing them to Christ is part of the mission. But at the same time, I know I, I mentioned this previously, Danny Franks uses the phrase, and I think others do as well. The gospel is offensive. Nothing else should be. Let's try to make the most hospitable environment possible for somebody right. to come into. So I, I know even for me, as I read through the book, Excellence Wins and listeners, if you haven't, if you have not read the book, I really would just, you know, order it, check it out because what Horace was able to do at Ritz Carlton, of course, was customer service. You know, it is the, the standard above the standard. He set, he set the bar incredibly high on that. And there's so many things we can take away to, to create those type of environments. So let me, let me ask you this. For those listening, uh, kind of understand a little bit more of your story. Where did where did you learn? You know, question that we normally ask is who are you learning from? So I'm going to kind of change this question just a little bit. Who for somebody who's wanting to learn more about hospitality and customer service, and we're going to kind of frame this in the idea of serving our church. Where would you point them to learn more about this? Of course, Excellence Wins, but maybe some other resources. <laughs> yeah, Excellence Wins. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, well I, would, I would not necessarily point about service, but organizational excellence. And you, you, the two books, the two people who were the foremost organizational thinker in a church is an organization, was Peter Trucker. Well, several books about the culture of an organization that you refer to mostly, Peter Trucker and Stephen Covey. And, 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 and Stephen Covey, Covey in, in um, uh, Seven Habits of Leadership, of leaders, of successful leaders, explains 
the organizational makeup and the organizational thinking in order to create excellence in your organization very well. I would I would read them, but I I I personally go back to to many others. I happen to be I happen to love reading love reading the the, the old philosophers. All philosophers, also the newer ones, uh, from Aristotle to Nietzsche, all all the way. And and the reason why I particularly like to follow them or read them and learn from them, their thinking is because they were able to do something that very few people do, particularly today. They were thinking for themselves. They didn't just follow somebody in the streets and through the rocks. They were thinking by themselves. Mm. They, in fact, they were thinking different than society was thinking at the time. And 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 this which is amazing, which is just totally amazing. And and think about um, Wilberforce, who, who who was who who went to the parliament and said we should we must stop uh, 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 slave trade. And a vote came up, and he was the only one that voted to abolish this. The, the only one, the, the only one for several years. You have to comprehend that he was thinking different at the time. Aristotle was thinking different. Martin Luther was thinking different. He was thinking different. I mean, up up to that time, in fact, you weren't allowed to think. The church was thinking for you. They were thinking different. And reading those books and stepping away and understanding, understanding that understanding organization excellence and then understanding your market. Once you understand the market, what are the, what is my who is who are my customers? Who are my parishioners? What do they need? What do they seek in a church? And then understand I how am I going to live, deliver that better than anybody else? Think, not like everybody does it, but think individual, thinking about how I'm going to deliver that. The one thing that you have to accept there is not, you cannot create something for everybody. That is the overall belief, but I will individualize to each right. person. That is, of course, so essential. Let me ask this, you know, when you look at, uh, we would say, hey, you know, God's chosen vehicle to bring his hope into the world is the local church. It's his plan. A there's not a plan B. When you look at that local church, that individual church and what it can be to its unique community. um, Yeah. How do you see that play out? Because what you've just said is, you know, you're, of course, you're you're meeting the individual customer's needs, yes, in, in your situation. But from the standpoint of a local church, it is understanding the needs of that individual, yes, but probably through the community. I mean, God's you know put sure. that church there to to reach that community. Can you kind of expand on that? Yeah, that, well, that was my comment before. You have to first of all understand your market as a whole. You have to understand the market as a whole and then adjust to the individual. And when I said adjust to the individual's need, I'm talking about, I'm not, I'm not saying you adjust your product to each individual. You adjust to everybody's needs because you, you cannot, that may, may mean you may, if you adjust a product to every individual, you may compromise your product. You cannot do that. You have the, 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 the product cannot become, that's why if you look at my book, I say creating excellent without compromise. 
you cannot compromising but but that is that is the problem of the churches today forgive me church leaders forgive me please i have to tell you that that's the problem church you're compromising the the great product that you have there's only one great product and it happens to be written in a book that i know and it's called the bible it's an exceptional product it's an exceptional product now what did the, what did the churches do to compromise it all you have to do all you have to do is look at the, the european churches why are they empty? I can tell you. You want to learn something? I can tell you. Hello, I'm right what I'm telling you now. The church decided, gee, we better get closer to the people. So they went to the people. And guess what they left God behind? And once they got to the people, they had nothing to offer anymore. So that's compromising the product. You don't do that. But I go to the people and have compassion for the individual needs. And I serve that individual need without compromising my, my product. That is what I'm saying. For, for heaven's sake, I do not say compromise the product. I said, that's why when I mean, you look at my book, I say create excellence, excellence wins. No nonsense without compromise without compromising that's it that's what and what and and it is unbelievable what churches have to offer have some the greatest thing to offer i have my you i have eternity to offer i have peace to offer i have hope to offer and how can a, a human being cannot live without hope and here i am it's the very thing that i am offering you Wow. But when I take, when I compromise it, the hope becomes lukewarm. It's not there anymore. I'm sorry if I upset you guys. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, you haven't upset us at all. No, this is great. Well, you know, Horst, another aspect of this. Chandler is knew already, Chandler knew already, I won't hesitate to be a little bit controversial. <laughs> when I, when you, listen, guys, when you're 82 years, you can do that. <laughs> Nobody can tell me nothing. That's the good thing about being 82. <laughs> Jesus's final charge to his disciples was to go and make disciples of all nations. And yet, many Christians today struggle to understand what this means for them. And many churches find it difficult to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the past 15 years, our friends at Downline Ministries have partnered with local churches by equipping men and women to know God's word and make disciples in the context of their homes, their churches, and their communities. They do this through the Downline Institute, a nine-month training program where students are taught Genesis through Revelation, biblical manhood and womanhood, and practical discipleship training. If you long for a greater knowledge of God's Word, a clear vision for making disciples, and the strengthening of biblical discipleship in your church, check out the Downline Institute's in-person and virtual training options. Downline is offering our listeners $100 off of the tuition cost. Just use the code LIFEWAY when you apply at downlineministries.com. Well, like you said, you know, you are 82 and you, you've led through so many different, you know, like we talked about different setbacks. So what were two to three things that you have done throughout your life daily to make sure that you were staying sharp in your leadership as you were leading others? 
Well, uh, away from my for my prayers, away from the, the, the word that you constantly had to remind you, in fact, the word or the constant reminder not to compromise. I, I said, I said a clear vision for where I want to be. That is extremely, I touched on that clearly with, with before, but I have to emphasize it. When I set the vision for its Carlton, for example, the vision was, we will create the finest hotel company in the world. Now, people were laughing at me because we didn't have a hotel yet. We had one in construction, that's all. But that was a vision. But I questioned myself, not loosely, but agonized and said, is that vision truly serving all concerned? That means the employee, society as a whole, this investor, myself, because it wouldn't serve me, I wouldn't give him my heart. Myself, every employee and every customer, truly. And then I knew, I once the answer was yes, I, I identified what are the things I have to do without question in order to accomplish that vision. What do I have to do superior to the competition? I established those items. And whenever something new came along, as we touched on earlier, during difficult moments, I still question myself, is it good for all concerned? Is it truly good for oneself? And not, not with a simple answer. That is what a leader should agonize about. Is your objective good for all concerned? And then, and then the other thing I constantly did, constantly studied the market. What is changing? What is the new expectation? What's the new need? What's the new desires there in that market? How can I adjust myself to delivering that and to letting them know that I have it? How can I teach my employees the change that is happening and, and let them know it is good for us that we change here? So a constant involvement of the organization without compromise. And it's, it's basically what you're saying. That's an everyday thing. And then of course, what I did constantly measure, are we living up to our promise? Mm -hmm. It wasn't just promoting some things. People advertise things and when you buy it, it's not at all what you have. It's a lie. I, I, one thing I want, I want to make sure, if I'm truly a great brand, I live up to my promise. So constantly look, make sure that when we promise something, that we actually could live up to it, that it actually was there, that it wasn't a lie. And as I said, so that's how we build the company and the reputation constantly. I was very conscious. I wasn't just building a hotel company where people come to sleep. I was building a brand where I make a promise and live up to the promise. A promise, otherwise it's, you know, Otherwise, it's just a name, mm. but it was a promise, a brand. And when you come in there, when you, if, you, if you promise that you could walk into any rich garden, you got it once it was promised and promoted on. And those are things you constantly think about. You constantly think about your employees. You constantly measure. Every, I, I, every morning I knew in every hotel around the world, the satisfaction or dissatisfaction of, the, of customers. In every hotel, how many percent of the customers want to come back and want to recommend us? The satisfaction of the employees and the emotional engagement of the employees. I knew that every day. I know, of course, the economics also in my indicators of the future. 
that 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 indicated my future. I knew the, in the company. I knew those things. And if there if there was a hiccup in one of them, I immediately involved the people connected to the process, to the situation, and improved it and got involved. For example, frankly, I I expected that 92% of the customers say at least 92%. 92% of the customers said, I want to come back here and I want to recommend you. If it slipped below 92%, I immediately was on the telephone and I, and I, made, I had a threat, I threatened them. <laughs> I said, if you cannot connect it, correct this within six weeks, I will move into your hotel and I will run the hotel for you and you just watch me. No, nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I wanted to follow this up because you know you talked about in in this area that you're talking about. Uh, it's there's some things that are difficult to measure, and churches are notorious for measuring things that are easy to measure and calling them important um, instead of necessarily sometimes measuring what matters. How do you? Yeah measure what is difficult to measure. I mean, you, you're talking about service, you're talking about uh, elements that are really difficult to measure. Well, well, frankly, there are certain things we didn't, frankly, didn't do. We we outsourced that. For instance, our, in the beginning, our, our uh, satisfaction measurements and all the measurements were done specifically for us by J.D. Power. We then hired another company to do it later that, that had knew how, how to ask the question. They were very scientific about it. And the statistics that came, came back were very reliable for me. Uh, if, if you do it yourself, it won't work. It's just, just forget it because you tend to tweak it for yourself if you do it yourself. You tend to tweak it a little bit in your favor and you don't have the truth in front of you. And you know what? The truth will set you free. <laughs> well, looking back on your own leadership, who, who or what would you say was the greatest influence in your life? Well, uh, as I said, I, 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 I will carefully, carefully study the thinking of the of the, uh, the, the many uh, people since, since Aristotle and Plato and so on, they all had influence some of me, but the, the huge influence in my life had my first major D. That when I, I left home when I was 14 years old, I knew, left my home, my parents' home and moved to the hotel about a hundred kilometers, kilometers away to work as a busboy, I was 14 years old. The major D of the hotel welcomed me the, the, the first day I was there and said, now tomorrow, show up at seven o'clock, but don't come to work. Come here to create excellence in what you're doing. Hmm. And so I, that went over my head when I was 14. Excellent, wait a minute, I know, I knew I had to wash dishes and clean floors. What is so excellent about that? But I learned from him over the years what excellence means. He was a human being of excellence. In fact, when I left there three years later to move to Switzerland and worked in a hotel in Switzerland and done in France and done in England, Holland, Merkel and done in the United States. When I left there, that made a he made me promise him that I would never go to work, that I only would go to my place of work for, to create excellence. 
And if I, I, I can hook onto that story and so after several years working in the finest hotels in Europe, I now was working in San Francisco in the Hilton with the intent to go back two years later to Europe and continue a career. For that reason, I wanted to promote it to room service supervisor in the Hilton in San Francisco. And I knew the supervisor job, the next supervisor job would be mine because I was by far the best waiter there. I knew things they, 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 they had no idea about, about food and so I worked in the finest places in the world. <laughs> and the room service manager was German, so I knew that was my job. And sure enough, the job became available. The supervisor left and there was my job, unquestionably, but I didn't get it. Somebody else got it. That hurt my ego. And, and what I did, of course, is say that shows you how stupid management is. <laughs> and, and, uh, but it took three months to admit to myself the other guy deserved it more. I came to work sometimes a few minutes late. I was young, I parted in the evening. Yes. And I came to work and I wasn't only tired. In fact, you could see from a hundred yards that I was tired. And I come in a little tired, five, five minutes late, only five minutes or 10 minutes. And when the manager said, hey, let's do some side work here, fold napkins so on. I said, why me? Why not them? The guy that got promoted never did that. He was always in time. He smiled in the morning. He said, I'm happy to do that. When I realized that, I went back to my little room in the Tenderloin district in San Francisco. Yes, in a furnished room, so terrible place. I went there and talked to my maitre d. He wasn't there, he had passed away. He didn't show up, but I talked with him and I asked him, said, please forgive me. I didn't go, go to work to create excellence, I went to work. I didn't go to create excellence anymore, I forgot. And I promise you, forgive me. It will never ever happen again. And I knew I had to manage myself to not let it forget. And I wrote on the mirror, where I shaved in the morning, go to work for excellence. And I did. And my, and my career took off like a rocket ship. Hmm. Well, you're you, have to, you have to manage your own, your own steps. You have to manage them. There's a, you have, the good intention is not enough. You have to actually do it. Implement the steps that get you there. So going back, you, you know, you said you left home at 14 and you, yeah. you, you experienced all this. If you could go back after all of the years of experience that you had and you could sit your 20 year old self down and give advice to him, what would you say to him? Well, uh, again, uh, don't waste, waste the time to just go to work, create actions at all time, learn, keep on learning, keep on questioning yourself. Uh, keep on improving yourself. And here's what I mean with this. Be with me, bear with me here for a moment. I, 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 we discussed some excellence in the thing. If it, is, if it works well for which it was created, anything. Excellence in a human being is doing your very best in the functions that you fulfill. Number two, doing your very best in your relationships. Number three, doing your very best in your, in your morality. Do, and number four, doing your very best spiritually. 
And if you take each one and improve them, and here's how you improve them. If I would have known that, I would have ah, accelerated totally, dramatically more. How do you improve? Question yourself, and I do it today, but not when I was 20, hmm. a long time. Is I said, do your very best in your functions that you fulfill. You're not perfect. Do your very best. And then question yourself um, once a day, maybe, or even once a week, or even once a month, but at least question yourself, could I do my function better? What do I have to do to do it better and improve it? And then in my relationship, after an encounter with anybody saying, how could I have done it better and tweak it? And the rest, the same. And if I would do that, I would be on a, on a path of continuous improvement. Can you imagine where you would be in a year from now, in 10 years from now? Wow, instead we just live and maybe we pick something up and be deliberate in working on the excellence of your human being. Deliberately say, how could I do my function better? How could I have my relationship better? What could I have said because in relationship, if you say one word too many, you're obnoxious. <laughs> if you say one word too little, you seem, don't seem to care. How could I have done it better? Could I have looked in the eye better? In my morality, what should I do? How can I improve my morality? What am I doing wrong? In my spirituality, how can I improve my relationship with God and my relationship? If I would do that every day, a little bit, little bit, <laughs> Can you imagine where you would, where I would have been <laughs> if I would have known that when I was 20, man, wow. Well, that's amazing. I, I think we should rename your book intentionality wins. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're certainly, uh, that certainly seems to be a theme and, and, a, and a welcome one for everybody listening because yeah. No matter, I love what you said, you know, you, you can't be perfect. You may not be the best in everything, but what is within your power is that intentionality and effort. Um, High intent. It guys, it, it, look, 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 guys, we, we're human beings. I mean, God has created us for more than just fulfilling functions. The chair in which we're sitting is fulfilling a function. We are creating, created for something higher in all that we do. My goodness, I mean, why, why would is that so difficult? Why don't we accept that? as a beautiful challenge to ourselves that God put on us, in fact. Wow. And that is if you're a pastor or not. How could, maybe, maybe after every ceremony, you, should, have, you should, should listen to and say, how could I have done it better? Or after every relationship with every prisoner, how could I have done it better and made them feel well and welcome? And how am I giving them hope? I mean, the, the huge thing that we forget, I have a, a, a let me put it in, a, in that sense. I have a friend who is a proud atheist. I mean, he's very proud that he's an atheist in Germany. And it was last time I was in Germany, unfortunately, over a year ago, and I have a hope there still. Uh, he and I go for long runs, we go sharks, and uh, I, I walk more than a shark those days. But anyway, uh, so we were, were going, and he always likes to start with the subject. We were going for about an hour and a half, and he didn't bring up the subject of 
and and but all of a sudden he said, "Well, host, you know, you with your, your with, with your faith, you cannot prove that there is God." I said, "That's a fascinating thought. You cannot prove that there isn't." So, with other words, you made the decision about it. You made a decision. If we can both not prove it, we made the decision. You made a decision not to believe, and I made a decision for hope because there's nothing more. I made a decision to believe because only there is hope. So, and he said, oh, well, well yeah, wait a minute. I'm actually agnostic. I'm actually, uh, and we see in one minute, he became agnostic. <laughs> so, so, you know, and that's, and, and if we have to, so there has to, be, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm harping on this one thing, and it, it, there are many other things, of course, for a pastor and the difficulty of the, the work as pastor, I can't even comprehend our difficulties with all the, the pain that comes to you. I know that. Don't, it's, I just want to challenge you. But the one thing that everybody wants is some kind of a hope. And this is the, this is the huge, huge, fantastic, incredible, huge gift that you can give. How do you give that? to the individual and to the, to the market as a whole market. I call it market purposely in, 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 a, in a great way. So, so, and, and you know, this is, and that is what, I mean, I look at carefully at the churches in Europe, I look at the very careful uh, with amazement, how empty uh, a, a country of, of theological thinkers like Germany with, with, with churches empty. I mean, it is, it's amazing. And then I look at it, and, well, they're not churches. And then I go, guys, and then I walk to the street, the shopping street, where, you know, that's typical, the no traffic shopping street. And there is a bunch of people standing or around two young men that stand there and they listen to them. And they're making a speech in the street. And they listen very intent to about 30 people and I go over there and say, well, I wonder what they're talking about. That why people got so, got so interested. There are other things going on in the street that people painting in the street for money. There's a music playing and but there are two young people, well-dressed talking. And I was, I went over there and guess what? They offered them something. I tell you who they were, they were, young Mormons talking. You see, they didn't, they talked about hope that they're offering and so on. And I said, what is wrong with us, our churches? What's wrong? When, when pe people do want to listen, but if we have nothing to say anymore, why would they come there? Hmm. Well, Horst, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and just like Todd said, just reminding us of the intentionality and the excellence that we need to have in our own lives and in our leadership. And we thank you for listening. We do hope that this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If you have yeah. not checked out Excellence Wins, just would recommend going to grab a copy. And you can also learn more about Horst at horseschulze.com. And if you did find this podcast helpful, we would ask that you head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so that other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. And we'll see you next time. Chandler, if I can, if it's possible to put that cylinder, 
I, I do admire, respect, love you all for what you're doing, you pastors in the church. It's difficult. I do. I just try to challenge you at the same time. Well, we appreciate the challenge. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Thank you. 